This is attorney Mark Nicholson. I'm here with Audrey Lunsford, an attorney as well. And this is the Circle City News. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the trial process. Some people ask us, what's it like going to trial? What happens at a trial? And we often see trials on TV, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you see these trials and most trials on TV, they last like one day. And well, you know, there are these real trials that you see that, you know, and on crime TV or court TV, I think it is, where they last, you know, days and days. And you can see that. And there's obviously the O.J. Simpson trial that people watched the last week. So this Johnny Depp trial. I was going to say Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. Yes. So those are real trials, mm -hmm. right? These are real trials and not the TV show type of trials that last, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and, you know, there's a verdict and all that kind of stuff. And oftentimes, you know what the verdict is. In real life, when there's a trial, and I'm talking specifically about a criminal trial, an adult criminal trial, when the attorneys are preparing for trial, there's a lot of motions that are filed before the case actually goes to trial. All these negotiations, plea negotiations, pre-trial motions, try to keep stuff out or get stuff in. There's all this stuff going on when it comes to the trial. The deadlines are set by the court. Some deadlines are set by the rules. Some deadlines are set by uh, statute. Now, what happens at the time of trial is your <clears throat> client comes in, and I'm talking about from the defense perspective, client comes in, we're there at the table, and at the judge, if the judge has not already given us the sheets that are talking about the jurors, right? The mm -hmm. jury questionnaires. Some counties, you get the jury questionnaires days or weeks in advance. Some counties, like Marion County, on you know, criminal cases, you get them about 15 minutes before they bring the jury in, which is, you know, mm -hmm. kind of insane. So, that 15 minutes, you're looking at these actual questions that jurors have responded to and given answers to. And this is in Marion County. And you're trying to figure out, okay, who's looking good, who needs to be struck, and all this kind of stuff. Hey, Mark. Yes. Who does the questions for the jury questionnaires? Um, the courts can do those questions. <clears throat> Most of the time, they're already done from years ago mm -hmm. and they come out through a jury pool and there's a just standard questions like name, age, um, convictions. you know, have any convictions, no any law enforcement. It's a pretty standard okay. thing. But if the courts wanted something specific, yeah. they could craft their own specific type of questions that would go out to the, to the jurors okay. uh, and they get the little sheet saying they have jury service. When they come in, to the jury pool, then they end up filling out, you know, the, the questions and they take those questionnaires and then give them to the, to the court. Okay. So, and most of the time, someone asked me the other yesterday, I think, how do the jurors, how are they pick? In Marion County, most counties, they're mm -hmm. looking at the uh, driver's license um, and they're looking. So basically people that have driver's license, voter registration, you know, voter registration, registered voters um, are some of the ways that the, jurors are picked for jury service so for the pool for the pool of <laughs> people that will be selected or mm -hmm. potentially selected for service that is how um that select they're, they're selected now okay. getting to actual selection of the jury right mm -hmm. how are we going to actually select 
who is going to be sitting on the jury. I call it a deselection process <laughs> because you don't get to say, hey, I like her. I want her on the jury. I like him. I want him on the jury. Yeah. Mainly the way it's done is, well, the way it's done is you strike the people you do not like. You start with the jury list. I right. mean, the, sorry, the questionnaires. Yes. Okay. So with the questionnaires, I start looking at people that I think will not be receptive to our argument. Okay. And those are the ones I kind of put either X or a little mm-hmm. question mark on or something like that. And then, obviously, when we start doing the questioning of the jurors, potential jurors, I go a little bit deeper on whether this is the person that I want to be on the jury or not. And mm-hmm. if I don't like that person or my client who has final say-so, I always give my client final say-so mm-hmm. about who they want on the jury or who they want off the jury. And if they want somebody off, then I go ahead and say this is the person I want. And that's why I call it deselection process mm-hmm. because you actually mark off or tell the judge, strike, whatever, of the jurors that you don't want on there. You don't get to yeah. keep people that you do like. And you normally don't like lawyers, right? Uh, well. It depends on it depends on uh, the particular case, <laughs> right? Uh, if it is a criminal defense attorney, I would think that most prosecutors would not want that person on there. Yes. If it was me, I would want that person on there because I think that they would um, understand the law, that they would understand what reasonable doubt is, um, beyond reasonable doubt. I think they would understand that better than most <laughs> private citizens would. Um, so if it was a prosecutor that was on there, obviously they would probably be removed for what they call cause. And removing someone for cause means that this is someone that there is a legal basis that why they couldn't be on there. They're law enforcement, they're an agent of the state, which would be like a prosecutor, they you know, the relationship because maybe they know the uh victim in the case. Something like that would, would prevent them from actually mm-hmm. serving on on the jury. Once we get through that part, <clears throat> then it is opening statement time. And you know, the prosecution goes first with their opening statement, then the defense goes opening statement. Then you have the arguments uh, you uh, or excuse me. Then you have the questioning of witnesses, the direct examination, the cross examination of witnesses. The state would go first. They would present their case, call a witness, do the uh, direct examination. Defense has the opportunity to do cross examination. And we repeat that process till the state says they rest. <laughs> and then once they rest, defense has opportunity to do the same call witnesses. And then um, the state would have an opportunity to cross examine those witnesses. And then we would rest. And at that point you get into the closing argument and after closing argument and the judge gives jury instructions again, at that point, and they go into deliberations. And if you're a defense attorney, you're probably hoping for uh, a not guilty verdict. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, that is kind of like a short summary of what the jury kind of process is. Obviously, there's more detail. There's more um, um, motions that are being filed. There's a whole lot more stuff that goes on with the jury process. But that's kind of like a short summary of it. Yeah. So one thing I think a lot of people have a misconception about mm-hmm. is whether or not the defendant's going to testify and why. Oh, yes. Um, If you want to hit on that. So, you know, (laughs) um, in America, because this is not, you know, a country 
with no laws. Um, the Constitution provides that the accused has a right to remain silent. Most people have seen the uh, the TV show Miranda. You know, you have mm-hmm. a right to remain silent. And we've also done a Circle City News uh, show that talked about the right to remain silent. So with that, not only carrying over for arrest, it also mm-hmm. carries over for you at trial. So if someone's at trial, they do not have to present a defense. They do not have to testify and that should not be held against them. Now, one of the things I always explain to people is, look, we're at trial because my client has said they didn't do it. He's not mm-hmm. guilty. So if someone gets on the witness stand and says, hey, I didn't do it, some jurors may think, well, of course, that's what they're going to say. They're going <laughs> to say they didn't do it. That's what they're going to say. Or someone's going to say, well, he looks nervous. He looks like he's lying or something like that. Maybe just because he's scared. People don't go to trial every day. People are not in court every day. So it could be a very intimidating experience. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that their prosecutor, for the most part, is very skilled at their jobs. And they do this for a living. So they know how to cross-examine witnesses. And they know how to ask questions and make people get tripped up. Whether, even when they're being honest. Even when they're being honest. <laughs> you know, So... That is another thing that can make someone um, look guilty and the jurors not give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, mm. Obviously, if the person has nothing to add, like, hey, I didn't do it. I wasn't even there. I don't know. What's the even point of even calling them on the witness saying to say, hey, I didn't do it when they've already said they didn't do it? Yeah, I always tell my clients, you know, if you don't get up on the stand, nobody can judge your credibility. Right. Once you get up there, they can. And the other thing to consider is, you know, um, defendants or respondents in the juvenile world, um, they have the right to appeal. So the um, the appellate court defers to the trial court's judgment on the credibility of witnesses. So if you don't put your client up there, they can't be like, oh, well, the trial court must have thought your client wasn't credible. Right. So a lot of times I have to advise them, you know, if we appeal this, they're going to defer to the trial court as to whether they believed you or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's always a danger in putting your client on the stand. I think a lot of people kind of are like, oh, why didn't the defendant testify? They must have something to hide. But really, most lawyers don't put their clients on the stand because Frankly, like you said, they don't always have anything to add outside of the evidence that you've already presented. And, you know, when the burden is upon the state of Indiana in a criminal adult case to approve their case beyond a reasonable doubt, if they have not met that burden by the end of their case, when they have rested, Mm -hmm. then at that point, there's no need to even really present any more of a defense because they've not met the burden. And the only thing you can kind of do in in some cases is screw it up by doing a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's like, well, I thought they didn't make the burden. But then when you got in and started doing this other kind of stuff, I lost credibility in what you were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a case that my client did testify. They have the constitutional right whether or not to testify. We do not have control of that. Mm -hmm. If they want to testify, they can If they don't want to testify, they don't have to. So my client chose to testify. And after the trial was over with, he was found not guilty. The jurors said um, there was a point when your client was testifying. I thought, oh, man, he's guilty because we were all ready to (laughs) vote not guilty uh, after the state rested. Like there was nothing else you you, you needed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But my client, and I don't know exactly what he said on the witness stand, but they thought, oh, when he said that, it made him kind of look guilty. But then, you know, he said some other stuff that kind of explained what he was talking about or whatever. So there was a case that obviously I had no clue that after the state rested, they were going to find him not guilty. Um, but we just went ahead and my client wanted to testify and it worked out. The last case, well, <laughs> one of the cases I tried um, a few months ago, so the, uh, the jurors, after they found my client not guilty, said, I'm glad you put him on the witness stand because we really wanted to hear mm-hmm. what he had to say about what happened. And he answered the questions. He said basically what we thought he was going to say. Um, and we're really glad that, that you put him on the witness stand. See, this is why you want criminal defense attorneys on the jury, because uh-huh. people have a hard time when defendants don't testify. Right. They think they're hiding stuff. Exactly. And he and this client was totally innocent. Um, and I won't go into all the details of that particular case, because that's for another day, another episode. <laughs> but um, I'm glad that the jurors here in Marion, it was a Marion County case, were able to get in there and see that he was um, innocent. Now, Audrey does juvenile type uh, cases. Mm. That's kind of her area of law. I've never done one. I don't do that. Um, Their process is a little bit different. It's my understanding, if I'm right, they don't have a constitutional right to a a jury trial for a juvenile. So let's let's talk about that. I want to hit on one thing before I forget that. When we're talking about our clients testifying, it is um, a unique situation when you're talking about a kid getting up on the stand because like you said, you get, well, you get a skilled prosecutor or a not skilled prosecutor. (laughs) Either way, you get somebody questioning you and kids, man, they get so nervous. They get terribly nervous. I think the worst, um, the worst situation I've had is, you know, a kid that was so scared. Um, we had already basically lost the case, but he wanted to get up on the stand and he basically just admitted to it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, kids are just a whole different ballgame when they go up there. I mean, you never want to put somebody up there unless you're sure they can handle the pressure and they're going to be consistent because they can get really nervous. And we've, we've talked about why the, there's dangers in people you know, questioning children. So I'll leave it at that. But um, that's a unique to juvenile situation. Um, but their trials are, their trials are paralleled, but there's a lot of difference. The, the biggest uh, difference is the biggest difference is obviously what you just mentioned is that is that they're seen as quasi civil, quasi criminal. So we use the same body of case law, the same statutes, the same arguments, the same um, procedures as mm-hmm. an adult criminal trial. But kids don't have a right to a jury. So they're just all bench trials. I mean, I I feel like um, there's always, you know, pros and cons to that. Judges generally understand the law better than right. than people. I agree. Um, but those but those occasional like factual arguments are a little bit harder to make. The sympathy level is a little bit down. Um, but yeah, you don't have the juries, you don't have the jury pools, you don't mm-hmm. have the questionnaires, so you're just relying upon your judge. Um, it's important and I, I like have to toot my own horn here, but it's important that you get an attorney that knows your judges for that reason. You don't get the questionnaires. You don't know about these people. So if you're hiring somebody who's never been in front of one of the juvenile court judges and you don't know like what they're looking for, that, that can be a huge hurdle. Um, so just as a lot of things are done behind the scenes in, um, adult court, like your preliminary motions in limine, your, um, 
basically any motion, even suppression hearings, um, are generally done during trial at a lot of juvenile courts. Some some judges will do them, especially in, in Donut counties outside of Marion County. Some judges will do like your suppression motions first, but a lot of Marion County courts just do all of the motions as they go mm-hmm. because the judge is able to sort those things out. Um, you're not tainting a jury. So there's a lot um, more informalities to juvenile trials. Um, because you're just in front of the judge and the judge is very understanding of the issues in the law. Um, and that includes motion practice as well as not having the extra, you know, day or two of jury selection. Right. So often people are very surprised at how quick um, juvenile trials go. Like a simple like misdemeanor, lower level felony, I mean, you could be talking about maybe a half day at most. Oh. Um, and then when you get into major felonies, I mean, sometimes you're surprised if it goes more than a day. Um, the more serious, obviously, you'll get a couple days in there. But yeah, they, they move very quickly because you don't have to do a lot of the things that you have to do with the adult court, which is um, like sequestering the jury and advising and all of those things. So um Procedurally, it goes pretty similarly to adult court. They're actually most juvenile courts don't do opening arguments. You can mm-hmm. usually request them and judges are happy to do that. The judges, again, um, are just more easily able to understand the issues without having to do that. Normally, you're preparing a jury for here's what the case is going to be, but the judge already knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so the informalities include often sitting, not doing openings. This sounds nice, right? Right, um, right. Although and, I like doing that stuff, so it would be it would bother me not being able to do that. I mean, the more you do, you know, the more theatrical you get. They do yeah. it. They do enjoy like some formalities. Okay. Um, but yeah, as far as presentation of the evidence, it's still state goes first, calls their witnesses. Def- uh, well, okay, so we're called the respondents in juvenile court instead of the defendants. Basically, we have equal names for everything. In fact, the trials are called fact findings. Um, sometimes we'll call them trials because that's basically what they are, but they're technically they're called fact finding hearings, which is a nice and much nicer way to say like, um, do you find my client, you know, true or not true, not mm-hmm. guilty or not guilty? Um, and the judge is to look into the facts to figure it out instead of like a, a adult trial sounds so much more. Um, intense, like, oh, you're on trial for this and we're going to find you guilty or not guilty. So it's just equivalent terms. Um, So the state goes, the respondent goes, and then the judge will usually do, we do, we do closing arguments though. Yeah, obviously. Um, But the judge will do one of two things. They'll either take it under advisement, which is the equivalent of waiting for your jury to come up with a ruling um, and issue, um, a ruling later on, which is pretty pretty regularly um, done in the, the higher level cases or cases where there's a lot of evidence for the judge to review. Or oftentimes the judge will just issue the ruling from the stand within like 30 seconds of completing your, your oh, closing wow. argument. So, um, yeah, so the procedures, the same, the case of law, the same. But the biggest difference is it would be the equivalent of like a bench trial. Um, the, a lot more informalities, a lot faster, and then you don't have, you know, you don't have to worry about sorting out the legal issues for the jury um, because the judge knows the law. You just need to remind him of what it is and make a record for um, possible appeal. So 
Um, that's the juvenile process, but there is a big issue that I need to add okay. in. <laughs> so the big issue that I need to add in is where our jury adult court, and I'm going to say adult court, not adults when I okay. talk about this, and then the juvenile intersect, and that is when a juvenile who is... 16 or older and charged with certain mm. major offenses, um, rape, robbery, arson, murder. I'm forgetting one rape, no. robbery, arson, murder. Um, but the higher, the higher, higher level felonies, there's a statute called the direct file statute. Um, so with certain, certain juveniles, 16 or older, they automatically get filed downtown in adult court. So even though they are technically a juvenile, the adult court has jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And in the adult court, you're entitled to a jury trial. Right. So if you are direct filed into adult court, you will you will go to this side. Yes, and you will get a jury trial. Now, there are things that we don't have time to talk about today that there can be, you know, a waiver to adult court, reverse waiver, I guess, and things mm -hmm. that are really uh, complicated. I do want to explain or have maybe Audrey explain the the difference between a jury and like a, a bench trial, because we mm -hmm. kind of use those terms thinking that people knew, know what they are. Mm -hmm. Some people may not know, like, well, what's the difference between a jury trial and a bench trial? Okay. So... Um, the short version of the waivers that you just talked about that could take up like four different episodes yeah. <laughs> is that that's really just a procedure to decide where the trial will be held. So like you said, that's a whole nother topic, mm -hmm. but, um, the adult court jury trials is being judged by a jury of your peers, hopefully, um, depending on how your lawyer does it. Um, but that is how many people generally would sit on a criminal jury? Okay. Well, when you when we say peers, that's you know that's another little trigger word for some people because they think, well, these people are not my peers because they're not African American or they're not from my neighborhood. Really, when they say peers, it's for a state county trial like Marion County. It would be people from Marion County. It doesn't mean that they have to be from your same neighborhood or they have to look like you or whatever. It's just people from Marion County. That is the peers. And you're looking at a six-person jury for like a misdemeanor to like an F6, you know, 12-person jury with probably two alternates. I'm say alternates. Uh, yeah. If you have a major felony type of case. So that's what you're looking at with a jury mm -hmm. and the selection process that I talked about earlier when it comes to... Um, a jury trial. And you then, have a yeah, the bench trial is that the judge that's presiding over your case hears that case. Um, and that's why I say the formalities are much lower because you're usually in a very small courtroom mm. and then it's just the judge at the bench. And the judge makes the rulings on all of your um, motions and mm. all of your requests and all of your objections. And then they also issue the ruling. Right. So they're basically in charge of everything. Um, you don't get a second opinion. You don't get a panel of six, eight, ten yeah. people to determine. You don't get the guy that lives down the street from your neighborhood. You get whatever judge you're in front of. Um, and then you can always you can always file for like the presiding judge if you have a lower level magistrate. 
um, that you just don't think would be as receptive to your case. But other than that, there's not a lot of remedies to get you out of in front of that specific judge, mm -hmm. especially if they are a judge. You can't you can't do a lot unless they have a legal basis to get out of that courtroom. So, um, yeah, you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick. Right. You don't now, get to strike. Now, I will say that um, in the adult court, you can have a bench trial. Mm -hmm. That there is, um, you can have a case where it's basically automatically kind of set for a bench trial because it's a misdemeanor and you have to ask for a jury trial. Or if it's a felony, it's basically automatically set for a jury trial. Mm -hmm. But you can file a waiver of a jury trial. And if the state agrees and the court agrees, then you can have a bench trial. And it's similar to what Audrey was talking about, where you would present your case to the court and then the court makes a decision. Sometimes people do that in the adult um, defense, mainly if it's a misdemeanor, they sometimes, you know, do the bench trial because it get done, you know, like in a day, a lot easier, a lot quicker. If it's kind of fact sensitive or law sensitive, you know, strategic reasons why someone may want to go ahead and do a, a bench trial instead of a jury trial. And then even on some of the more higher level felonies, sometimes people who know the judge. And when we say know the judge, that doesn't mean that they have this kind of intimate <laughs> relationship with them. Um, what we're saying is they've been in front of the court or they've studied the, this particular court and know the court procedures and some of the rulings that the court does. In that particular case, they could say, you know, this judge is, is you know, known to do a lot of trials or a lot of bench trials. Mm -hmm. And normally this is how the judge rules on, on certain matters. And when that happens, someone may say this may be a better case to do a bench trial because of the legal issues involved or the facts are so ugly that if a jury hears it, mm -hmm. a jury is going to be appalled and they're going to think, Oh, someone has to pay for this. And so we're just mm -hmm. going to find guilty and we don't understand all the legal mumbo jumbo talk. Yeah. So it could be better where the attorney decides with the client that, Hey, I think this may be a better case that we waive jury because of the issues involved are better for a judge to kind of understand and decide, you know. I know we're running out of time, but I really want to talk about one more thing real sure. quick. Um, you mentioned that it can be much faster, not just as far as how long the trial takes, but you can also usually get a bench trial much more quickly than yeah. a jury trial. Yeah. And so I just want to point out that in juvenile cases, you actually have the right, if you're client is incarcerated to a trial within 20 business days, which is insanely fast. Um, so, you know, obviously with a jury, you still have a speedy trial, right? But right. a lot of times, especially with released clients, you can usually get in the door much faster yeah. if you don't want to wait for the jury pool and the open dates and the extra time. Yeah, definitely. If you're going in a bench trial, generally speaking, um, it's going to be a lot easier for the judge or a magistrate or whoever to hear it is going to be a lot quicker and easier than if you are um, waiting for a jury trial date, because especially with COVID um, the jury trial calendar has just been backed up mm -hmm. and now there's like the floodgates are open and there are a lot of juries that are going and they can usually only do one jury at a time. There's a new building, the CJC criminal justice center. 
and they may be able to do multiple juries and calendar. I I don't really know how that's going to work out. It's going to be interesting to see. But mm-hmm. apparently some courtrooms or maybe all the courtrooms now can run like dual calendars. They can have their general court calendar and they can have this jury trial going all at the same That'd time. So, yeah, definitely that would be helpful. So this is the Circle City News. We are so glad that you were tuned in for another episode and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye. <laughs>